Rasputin might have been Russia's greatest love machine, as the song does say, but in tennis, Russia is a pure juggernaut. Daniel Medvedev, Andrei Rublev, and Aslan Karatsev all getting through to the quarterfinals of the Australian Open, and the latter proving to be an unbelievable narrative. On debut in a main draw of a major, he reaches the semifinals with one of the most unlikely runs that you will see. This is Breakpoint Podcast. I'm your host, Val Febo, and joining me to review the first week and a half of the Australian Open is the man that sits across from me on Zoom every week. Hopefully, we will be able to do these shows in person very soon. But Joel Frucci joins me. How are you? Yeah, going well, thanks, Val. It's a nice summer day in uh, Melbourne, and we're uh, just enjoying currently, as we record, the uh, battle between Andre Rublev and Daniel Medvedev. And um, yeah, it's been entertaining, hasn't it? Um, and I'll tell you what, Daniil has got Andre exactly where he wants him. So, uh, yeah, uh, we may have doubted Daniel during the week and we potentially may have spoken about Andre getting the job done. But, uh, yeah, who are we to doubt, Daniil? Yeah, it's always um, curse of the commentator, really. Anytime we make a prediction, it just goes the opposite way. So we better stop talking, probably. But unfortunately, we do have a show to do. So um, what is a show without an opinion and a prediction? Um, there isn't one, and there isn't an entertaining one. But we do have a big one lined up for everybody today, and that is uh, including the uh, our special guest, Chris Bowers, the executive editor of uh, an executive producer as well of uh, Australian Open Radio, so AO Radio. And remember, you can hear that. On the Australian Open app, it is a wonderful production. They do an amazing job. And um, uh, all the all the people they have commentating and all the special guests and special comments, uh, talent that they do have a fantastic. And Chris leads it all off beautifully. And, um, yeah, having him on our show uh, just makes us uh, sound that little bit better because he is so well-spoken. And uh, he's also the writer and uh, the author of uh, the Roger Federer and Novak Djokovic biographies as well. So we can't wait to chat to him about the tennis and... Uh, Look, Joel, let's just get into it. The Russian juggernauts, uh, oh boy, Aslan Karatsev. We were lucky enough to go on Friday night and watch Nick Kyrgios and Dominic team, but we caught the end of Aslan Karatsev against Diego Schwartzman. And uh, we saw Karatsev took the first set, 6-3, and we thought, oh no, this one's going to take forever. We have to get out of here by 11.30 tonight because of Melbourne's lockdown. Um, and Karatsev destroyed Schwartzman. Absolutely destroyed him. Then he came up against Felix Auger Aliasim. Two sets to love down. We thought, all right, the run's over. He comes back and wins. Loses the first set against Grigor Dimitrov, 6-2. Comes back and wins in four, albeit Grigor did have a bad back. But uh, this has been a truly remarkable run. And I think that the mental strength and fortitude that he showed uh, yesterday against Dimitrov was, was unbelievable. Because generally in that point you are playing someone's reputation you're not playing them and he was he was up to the task and he stayed true stayed strong and and he got over the line and he finds himself in a semi-final against Novak Djokovic in the first player in the open era to get through to the semis of a slam here at the Australian Open so and uh, unbelievable absolutely fantastic and um yeah hopefully the narrative can continue yeah what a what a story. Absolutely incredible. As you said, Val, we did manage to catch a bit of him uh, against Diego Schwartzman. And, geez, he was spanking the ball, wasn't he? There was a, a stat that I distinctly remember from that match uh, the, in the winner category. It was, I think it was 55 off Karatsev's racket to five off Diego Schwartzman. And we know that little Diego doesn't necessarily hit that many uh, winners, but it was still a, a pretty big number. 
Um, and of course, it, when you're going for a lot of winners, inevitably you're going to hit a lot of unforced errors too. But certainly in that case, and there's no doubt against a lot of others, his game really stacks up. Um, he hits the ball with a lot of power. Potentially when you get him on the move a little bit, that's where maybe he's been a little bit exposed. I think Grigor sort of, uh, Grigor Dimitrov looked to do that in the first set of, of their match. But in the end, he just completely overran him. And obviously we know that uh, Grigor was suffering a bit of an injury, which seems to have struck a lot of players, the old abdomen injury. Um, Grigor, Alex Verev, and apparently Novak Djokovic. But anyway, we'll go across. We'll get to, we will um, get to that, Joel. We'll get to it, yeah. We'll get to it. Um, biggest issue at hand, though, Val, here with Aslan Karatsev, Karatsev <laughs> is, is not necessarily the way he's playing. His nickname is apparently the Lion. Now, I'm lobbying against that because I want him to be known as Carrots because I think it's much better. No, I, I much prefer the Lion because I actually, when we were watching him, we didn't really know what his nickname was. And um, I said the Lion because of Aslan from The Lion, The Witch, and The Wardrobe. Um, and not in the Narnia Chronicles, but yeah, you've just gone with carrots. Someone on Australian tennis community on Facebook has, um, has posted a truck of carrots and trying to lobby for the nickname, but I don't know how far you are going to go because we ran a poll during the week as well. And that came up, uh, with the lion as the preferred nickname, but look, yeah, all of six votes, <laughs> <laughs> not our finest poll at all. Um, absolutely not. But, um, yeah, I think, um, and look, we've got a lot more to get through. Medical timeouts with Ash Barty today, medical timeouts as a whole, who's injured, who's not, um, and the tournament um, as a whole. But getting into the, the rest of the men's draw, um, it, it's been, it has been a brilliant tournament. And I think we've seen a lot of exciting matches. And I want to get your thoughts, and we'll talk a little bit about um, the lockdown and, and sort of that pre-lockdown feel at Melbourne Park, because... It was so strange, the fact that we were there and three hours later, we're all going to have to leave at the same time if the match was still going. But the atmosphere for that Nick Kyrgios-Dominic team match that we were present at was rocking. That was rocking. It was scintillating. It gave you goosebumps. The the It was just, it was brilliant to be a part of. And it was one of the best quality matches I've seen in such a long time. And um, what... <laughs> How strange was it actually being there and then knowing that, oh, crap, we're going to have to leave here soon if this match continues to go? It was just such a bizarre feeling, wasn't it? Yeah, it was weird. It was really strange being in our seats and, and knowing, yeah, there's a, there's a timeline on this. Usually when I go to the tennis, and I, I love going on that, that first Friday um, after work when you can just rock up and get a ground pass or whatever it is, um, you know, a ticket to one of the one of the arena um arena courts um and then you know if, if you happen to want to leave you can go sit out in garden square or grand slam oval whatever you want walk around the grounds take it in um you know there's no limit to it but yeah it was it was just so strange knowing that we were watching the clock and um look i'm so glad that we went to that match battle between dominic team and nick Kyrgios because the standard of it uh, in terms of the, the the tennis firstly was absolutely phenomenal it was one of the i think it was one of the highest levels i've i've ever seen both mm. players were sensational. Dominic Team's composure was incredible, um, particularly um, and in terms of his, his shot making, particularly uh, uh, in the third set onwards, only I think, 10, 10 unforced errors. Um, and take nothing away from Nick, I don't think he really did much wrong other than you know some what we call Nick Curios stuff where he kind of lost his call in, in some key moments, whereas Dominic was, was ice cold. I think that's what probably cost him. But yeah, I mean, half full, really? Like, you wouldn't have known because the place was absolutely jumping. And then 
uh, jumping on the train back home from Melbourne Park, I was tuned in uh, to AO Radio, listening to Chris Dowers, our special guest, um, on the train, and we'll get his thoughts, you know, we'll get his thoughts from the horse's mouth um, a little later. But you know, going from that incredible atmosphere to uh, then listening from sort of eleven onwards, and I think I think John Blanc was the chair umpire in that match between yep. Novak Djokovic and Taylor Fritz, and hearing him have to make those announcements that you know in x amount of minutes you're gonna have to leave like it was it was completely strange and then um seeing the players uh essentially play being abandoned for however long five minutes or however long was needed to essentially move all the spectators on um and to hear it unfold and i think i think chris did a great job of of uh talking listeners through the situation but it was just Really, really bizarre, and uh, at the end of the day, it's just another one of those things that we can uh, we can chalk up to one of those probably once in a lifetime events that we can put down to uh, this wonderful virus that we're living with. Now. Yeah, I would call it very far from wonderful, but yeah, it was it was bizarre, and Chris did such an amazing job with um with I think it was Mark Hillawati uh, in special comments uh, with him and and trying to talk everybody through what's um what was happening and how things were going to happen and. It was just, it was so bizarre watching the fans actually leave when I got home on Friday night. I watched the replay of, of how it actually transpired between the, in, in the middle of the fourth set of the Novak Djokovic and Taylor Fritz match. And it was just, it was one of the things that you just never thought you'd see. And if we had it on 2020 bingo, it probably would have worked. And in 2021, obviously as well, we can kind of mold the first couple of months into that bizarre 2020 feel but it's so it was so strange seeing fans and then all of a sudden there's just no one that's gone from having an atmosphere to to just having absolutely nothing and being able to hear a pin drop so it's been a bizarre five days of the tournament and one of the most bizarre five days of the Australian Open and we'll get Chris's thoughts on what he's thought about um about being at Melbourne Park and his views on on how things have transpired um throughout the last five days of our lockdown which does end Tonight, we're recording on Wednesday, so it does end at 11.59 tonight. So at midnight, Joel, um, if Tsitsipas and Nadal is going late, do you want to head over to RLA? <laughs> I'm keen. Yeah, let's I'm keen. do it. I've uh, got to work in the morning, but uh, I'm sure I can find the time. That's all right. Well, uh, yeah, we, we've got nothing else <laughs> to do, so why not? Let's do it. Um, but yeah, so the, the tournament as a whole, um, the men's side... Novak Djokovic through to the semifinals. He'll take on Aslan Karatev. Daniel Medvedev has just won over Andrei Rublev as we record. So he's through to his first Australian Open semifinal. Uh, in a, just an emphatic victory, 7-5, 6-3, 6-2. Just wore his Russian compatriot down. Two Russians through to the semifinals. Uh, the Australian Open for the first time ever, I think. So an amazing result for them. But um, look, the elephant in the room, Joel. Novak Djokovic. Now, we've had our... We've had our say about him on this show, and I certainly have, but he just... It's part of a bigger issue, isn't it? It just, it kind of, he just continues to do it. And I don't want to have to say things about him. I'd rather not. I'd rather talk about his tennis. But the injury, the abdominal injury that he seemingly couldn't walk with when he was playing Taylor Fritz, he couldn't hit the ball in the third and the fourth set, and all of a sudden in the fifth he comes out and starts smacking winners left, right, and center. Then against Milos Raonic, when he said that he probably wasn't going to front up on Sunday, he might not even be able to play, and that he didn't think he would be able to get through the match properly, comes out and beats Raonic in four. Then the level that he played against Alexander Zverev last night to beat Zverev and come back from a breakdown in the third and fourth sets and win them both. I'm sorry, 
the injury is almost non-existent. We did another poll this week uh, and said, is Novak A, injured, B, slightly injured, B, exaggerating, or C, faking, or sorry, or D, faking? And exaggerating and faking got the top amount of votes. That's his reputation amongst the people at the moment. Um, Joel, it's it's extremely frustrating because he says that he has an injury, but then all of a sudden he's able to pull pull these results out and then have an epic racket smash. So and and, and to be and to do that racket smash, he you would have to exert a lot of energy through your abdomen to create the force. So. Look, I'm very skeptical at where it's at. I I know he has a niggle. That's 100%. He surely does have a niggle. But I think he was definitely playing at what the injury actually was because I don't think that there's I don't think that there's much. It's it's pretty it, but and the problem is who can It's so hard to explain because we don't really know where he's at. But yeah, I I don't know. I'm very skeptical on it. Yeah, well, I mean, I'll, I'll keep my I'll keep my on this relatively short because we want to get into the uh, medical timeout debate, which we've been absolutely fanging over all day. We're just desperate to talk about it. Um, and Ash Barty's match um, against Carolina uh, Mukova. But um, yeah, look, I mean, Novak's entitled to play mind games if that's what he mm-hmm. is doing. Uh, it wouldn't be the first time that a tennis player has played, a, played mind games with, with their opponents. Or but, Novak, he's um, a repeat offender. We do see this a lot. Yeah. Um, look, but in terms of the actual injury itself. Look, we've seen we've seen other players, not just on the on the men's side, but we've seen a few of the women as well have um, issues, niggles with that sort of area of their body. Obviously, it's not the same injury, but we heard today that Sophia Cannon was suffering from a, acute appendicitis, which again is not the same injury, far from it, but it's a similar-ish part of uh, of of the body, um, and. You know, guys like Matteo Berrettini, he pulled out of his match against Stefano Tsitsipas, which I was absolutely hanging for. I couldn't wait to watch it. Um, and he was a chance of winning. So it was clearly serious enough for him to pull out. That was what we think was an abdominal strain. Um, Grigor Dimitrov, a bit different. I think his was a back injury, complaining about spasms. Um, Alex Verev, at a point, was talking about abdominal issues. And then Ovax was supposedly an abdominal tear. So you'd think... Um, but that's a bit worse. Now, we're not doctors. I'm not a doctor. And it probably doesn't really help to sort of speculate. But, you know, we're speculating anyway because we want to. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, look, I, I don't know. It's just it's just really, really strange. And when you yeah. hear stuff like that, that, he's, that they're talking about tears and, and that kind of thing from the Djokovic camp, uh, it, it really does cast a lot of doubt on it. And it's just growing increasingly harder to believe because as the tournament has gone on, the, the weakest that I thought I saw Novak was – when he played against Francis Tiafo, and I thought that was largely because of Francis. I think he was playing uh, the kind of unpredictable sort of brand of tennis that you need to bring against Novak to, to be in with a chance. So credit to, to Francis. But from that point forward, um, Novak's level has just got better and better with every passing match. Like yeah. he was, he was well and truly out of it against Alex Verev at yeah. various points in that match, and he just found another gear as he so often does. Yeah. Um, but the fact that, yeah, he's, he's playing, in my opinion, a lot better than he was at the start of the tournament since this injury has supposedly come up is, yeah, it's, 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 it's curious. It is very curious, but we can't deny his level because it has been phenomenal. And looking at what he did against Alexander Zverev, was down a break in the, in the first set, came back, forced it to a tiebreaker, lost at 8-6. So 
you know, he'd be pretty pleased with that effort to get it back. Second set, he just ran through it. And then the third set was down three, um, was down, almost down 4-1 um, and a double break. And then the fourth set was two points away from going down 4-love. Um, Zverev had a set point um, at 6-5 uh, up on the Djokovic serve had chances in the tie break that he couldn't take and Novak just did what Novak does and was clean in those clutch moments and and I think that's what he'll be um he'll be so pleased about to get through to the semifinals against the guy that um he wouldn't have uh, wouldn't have faced much but um yeah or wouldn't have faced at all um but Aslan Karatsev will be um will be chomping at the bit to try and actually uh, and, and actually cause another upset over a man that has never lost in the semifinals or the final of the Australian Open so an amazing result there for Novak Djokovic to get through to semi-final number nine at Melbourne Park. So we can't discredit his tennis, but um, yeah, bit of a watch this space for where the injury is at. But the medical timeouts, Joel, the women's side of things, Naomi Osaka and Serena Williams, they are through to the semi-finals. They'll face off tomorrow and Carolina Mukova and Jennifer Brady will face off in the other semi-final as well. So three Americans out of four, kind of like um, we're seeing an American dominant. Oh, actually, no, Osaka's not American. I'm very sorry. It's just She sounds American when she speaks English and she lives there. <laughs> so she's an honorary American, but a ja- two Americans, a Japanese and a Czech Republic representative in the semis for the women. But um, it was Carolina Mukova over Ash Barty this afternoon. Uh in very interesting circumstances. She lost the first set, 6-1, was absolutely demolished in the opening set, Joel. And th- yeah. we, we cannot undersell what Ash Barty did to her in that opening set because she was genuinely phenomenal. But all of a sudden, Mukhova comes out and wins the next two sets, 6-3, 6-2, only dropping five after taking a medical timeout. After the match, speaking to Jim Courier, she said that she was in a position where she... Or just felt mentally frazzled, didn't feel right, felt dizzy, and needed to get off the court. The doctor took her temperature. Um, the heat was quite oppressive on court, would have been over 30 degrees on court, um, and didn't really give an injury and pretty much said, I wasn't injured, I just needed some assistance. So it was kind of more physically, was just she was just laboring through. And that after that time... Medical. Pardon? But it's still medical, clearly. Yeah, still medical. Um, but the Australian media has absolutely started a lynch mob. Absolute lynch mob yeah. on Carolina Mukova. And I think it's quite unwarranted because Ash Barty is the world number one. And I don't think that... And look, medical timeouts, it's a hard one because they are there to be abused. Um, and players do abuse them and they take them as more gamesmanship rather than anything else. But Barty was up 6-1 and the match flipped completely. She said in her press conference after it's the medical timeout is no excuse and that Mukova deserved the win because she was able to flip the, flip the match on its head considering what happened in the first set. And I think that's a really great response from Ash Barty because it's 100% yep. true. 100% true. And I, I think it was, on, it was on Ash's racket. She was the, clearly the better player. She's the one that lost it. No one else. It's Ash. She hasn't played in 11 months. I'm, I'm honestly, I'm probably not surprised that she sort of faded away. She's played a lot of matches in the last two weeks, had the strapping around her hamstring. It's, I just think it's play on. Yeah, I think so too. And it's been raised a lot as well. But um, as good as Ash has looked 
prior to this, this match or prior to the second set of this match, really. Um, let's remember, she hadn't played a match in, what, 11 months? It had been a long time since Ash Barty had played a match, and um, I don't think we can we can discount that either, apart from the lead-up tournaments, of course, but I don't think we can really um, discount that and, and the value um, that that lacking of, of match time really represents. But I think, like, to this whole argument, there's a lot of... There's a lot of parts to it. Um, you know, I, dare I say, I don't think the repercussions would have been as as bad, or the um, you know the criticism of Carolina if uh, if she wasn't playing Ash Barty, it might have just you know sort of slid under the carpet. But unfortunately for her, she was playing against Ash. Um, and look, Ash is right. I mean, um, you know, she, she's the world number one. She should have navigated that situation better. Um, it certainly did change the course of the match, but. Um, the reality of it is she just didn't really deal with it well, um, clearly. Um, but this is, okay, so this is in terms of uh, the actual MTO itself, right? So this is uh, direct from from the rules, and thanks to uh, Steve from Ace Tennis Previews uh, for this, who put this up on Twitter. So Also, thank you for our seats on Friday night. Oh, yeah, and yeah, thanks for that, Steve. Um, so th- this is what he's put on Twitter. So this is word for word, acute medical condition, the sudden development of a medical illness or musculoskeletal injury during the warm-up or the match that requires immediate medical attention or non-acute medical condition, a medical illness or musculoskeletal injury that develops or is aggravated during the warm-up or the match and requires medical attention at the changeover or set break. So, look, clearly Carolina's issue fell in that, I'd say, that second category probably. Um, And, look, she was well within her rights then to go go and seek that attention and, um, at the moment, especially when someone says, yeah, I'm feeling a bit dizzy, that's probably an alarm bell in the situation. And that, that's certainly a worst case scenario. I think you know what I'm getting at here, though, but um, it's very much a, a worst case scenario. But of course, we need to be treating these things with relative caution, I would have thought. I think what hasn't helped Carolina here is that um, in that post-match interview, and clearly she's tried to address the situation. She was being honest. She said that she wasn't injured. But I think the fact as well that you know, English isn't necessarily her first language. I don't think that's that's really helped her. Clearly, what she was saying was that she was dizzy um, and she needed some attention and she was well within her rights to, to go and do that. Now, uh, we've been talking a lot about, um, you know, is it within the scope of the MTO? Well, clearly it is. Um, clearly, the MTO rule can be abused. It's pretty broad and, and open and, and a little bit vague um, as well. And we've seen a lot of, pl- a lot of players take advantage of it. And there's been a lot of talk about, okay, so um, can we tighten it or do we remove it completely? I think either of those things is is fraught with danger. Um, if we tighten it a bit more, how do we go about that? Whose discretion yeah. is it um, you know, to decide whether the issue falls within the realms of, of the rules of a medical timeout? Is it the chair umpire or is it an actual doctor or, or medical professional? Um, because... Uh, if if we were to remove it, I don't think that's what what we can do because we can't remove it completely. Um, there's bound to be a lot of genuine injuries, real genuine injuries that need attention. We can't just say, well, if you're not fit or if you're injured, give up. That's not what tennis is about. We want players to be able to, to get treatment and continue on course. So we, we can't completely bin MTOs. I think that's a ridiculous argument. Um, I just think my point of view is that we just have to leave it how it is because if we change it, if we try to tighten it, um, it just kind of adds another layer of confusion. So that's just my two cents on it. 
Yep, I agree with the fact that we can't bin them. I think that would be completely immoral and wrong. But I think one thing, in terms of policing it, just to play devil's advocate here, in terms of policing the entire thing, a doctor, if if a player asked for a medical timeout and the doctor deemed as though it was a pointless medical timeout and that it was tactical because they can just say, oh, look, this is a little bit of tightness or, you know, this is a little bit of this, a little bit of that. You know, it's not something that you should have taken a medical timeout for. They can tell the umpire or tell the tournament official, they can dock them money, dock them points, whatever. But then again, that's also fraught with danger. So I think the way that the rules stand now is probably the perfect way to do it. I don't think there's really any other way that you could think of it. That was just an idea, playing devil's advocate. I don't think that would work because there's obviously different people, different opinions. So I think it's kind of just where we're at the point where it's as good as it can get and we can't ban a medical timeout. So I think it's a moot point. And I think that um, the Australian media for lynch mobbing um, Carolina Mukova for, for something that she has done that's not illegal, um, yeah. I, I, think she's, I think she's okay. She's in the clear, let her play let her play on. She's into the semifinals of a Grand Slam for the first time and good on her. Yeah, 100%. Um, you know, there was no doubt that clearly that, that helped her. But, you know, she was within her rights. She, yep. said, she, was, she said she was dizzy um, and that's stipulated in the rules. That's really all that we can say. And uh, Unfortunately, I mean, we're, we're, we're happy to say that we wanted Ash to win. Of course we did. We're Australian and we, we want to see her win our own Grand Slam. But, Unfortunately, she just clearly didn't really deal with the situation well enough, and she's admitted that herself. Yep, I completely agree. And look, we're about to get Chris Bowers uh, on the line now, so we might as well get his thoughts on the entire situation at, the, at Melbourne Park. So looking forward to this one. And our first guest of today's show is a man who's the executive editor of the wonderful broadcast that is AO Radio. You can find that on the Australian Open app and on various radio stations around Melbourne and around the world, including ATP Tennis Radio, and is also the biographer of Roger Federer and Novak Djokovic. I have the Roger Federer copy right alongside me here. His name is Chris Bowers. Chris, thank you so much for joining us on Breakpoint. How are you? Yeah, I'm feeling a lot better now that I know we're going to have some spectators for the next few days. Yes, exactly right. Well, that's the first question, I guess. How have you found the Melbourne lockdown and being part of such a bizarre Australian Open from the commentary booth? And you're actually in commentary when Novak Djokovic and Taylor Fritz were plying their trade and the fans were asked to leave halfway through the fourth set. So talk us through how you felt as a broadcaster and how unbelievably strange it was. Yeah, it, it was strange. It was uh, the kind of thing I'll be boring any grandchildren who are lucky to have me as a grandfather with uh, in years to come. Um, I've always believed that you've got to keep big picture, little picture. Little picture is what's relevant to you and what you're feeling. And we all have our little sort of uh, moans and groans about things that happen that we don't want to happen. The big picture is where we see things in the general uh, scheme of things. And, you know, the fact that the Australian Open is happening is just such an amazing achievement within the context of tennis. Uh, We're in the middle of a pandemic. It's a very, very serious, contagious virus. We're still not entirely sure how it behaves. Uh, We are sure that it is uh, doing serious damage to lots of people and and killing lots of people before their time. So the fact that tennis is able to take place in a safe environment is fantastic. And I was always bearing that in mind when 
the air went out of the balloon, as it inevitably did on that little picture from Friday morning when I heard that uh, Melbourne was going to go into a lockdown. And um, then when you see this wonderful atmosphere with uh, Kyrgios and uh, uh, team over on the John Kane Arena, fortunately that ended within the uh, 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 permitted timelines. So the crowd was able to go home uh, within the guidelines there. But then to have the Djokovic match, there weren't as many people on Rod Laver Arena, but to see them go, it was bizarre. And yet, it was part of it. And the Australian Open could not conceivably have afforded to play fast and loose with the rules. They'd been told that they had to ask everyone to leave by 11.30. They went a couple of minutes over to wait for the next change of ends. And then they told people to go. Just imagine, given that the trust that they built up with the state government of Victoria if they had ignored that. So while I know some people uh, found it difficult, there was a lot of booze at the time, and it was a bizarre state of affairs, I think it was absolutely right. And I think actually one of the big lessons over the last few weeks, especially from the first few days in quarantine, is that everybody involved in tennis understands that we're actually very fortunate to be here. And uh, the inconveniences, while they are genuine in the little picture, are tiny in the big picture. Yep, that's exactly right. You couldn't have put it better yourself. Joel and I were actually lucky enough to be part of that Curios and team crowd on Friday night, and we did get out early enough. Thank thank heavens for that, and we're home by the 11.59 deadline. But how have you found it at Melbourne Park over the last five days and um, the, the eerie silence that surrounds the grounds a, a, at the present? Because it's something that we're definitely not used to for a Grand Slam. I was fortunate to have uh, a couple of parents who taught me to see the blessing in everything. And yes, when I walked in on Saturday, it was very sad because they'd been bustling with people on Monday to Friday. And there it was, sort of, there's hardly anyone there. But OK, so you enjoy it. It's a bit like if I, I'm lucky to visit the Centre Court at Wimbledon a couple of times a year outside the uh, the championships. And you get to see it in a totally different light. And it's, and it's valid. And, uh, you know, if you go into uh, the Melbourne Cricket Ground when there is nobody there you will get a different sense of the place and you could say yes this is a a place built to house lots of people and when there's very few people there it's empty it's certainly missing something but you know there were advantages um i saw a group of umpires just having lunch in garden square you know prominent umpires people that the tennis public would know at least by face if not by name and and i thought yeah they're able to do that in a way that they would never otherwise be able to do okay does that mean it's a 50-50 about whether you want fans back? No, of course not. We want the fans back. And uh, the, the two Kyrgios matches on John Kane Arena last week were a testament to why we want the fans back, why it makes for such a great atmosphere. But there's a blessing in everything. And uh, while I'm delighted that the fans are coming back, there have been little moments where you can appreciate the quietness of, uh, of the place and uh, you know maybe appreciate the history because the history is all around us. Yeah, and at this point, and certainly after last year, the, the fans being absent from the crowds is, is nothing new. I guess we're kind of uh, really getting used to it. But one thing that really interests me, Chris, is that like a lot of there's been a lot of talk about how uh, the players in that situation, when there's no one around them, how they go about creating their own energy. But I've always been really interested in the commentary side of things. Like Obviously, radio calling tennis is such an art. Like I have such admiration for people like yourself that call tennis on the radio because there's just so much that goes goes into it. And you know, there's a few things that I've been enjoying in the last week more than going for a walk in the afternoon and, uh, and popping on AO radio and, and listening to yourself and, and the matches in the afternoon sessions. But like, how do you go about uh, in that situation actually kind of creating the energy um, that 
the crowd does bring because it, it is it is such a void. Yeah, I mean, we had to work hard, there's no question. Thank you very much for your kind comments. I mean, I, I like to think of uh, commentary as a bit like playing a musical instrument. You know, you've got to practice it. And uh, first day at the Australian Open, I come off air thinking, oh, my goodness, I used to be able to do this. But it's a bit like someone picking up a musical instrument after a few months of not playing it and say, well, why don't my fingers work? Um, it is just a question of uh, applying the technique that uh, those of us who do the play-by-play -play have learned and, and adapting it to uh, the, the situation we're in. Yes, for the the first couple of days of lockdown it was very difficult because especially when you've got an exciting point we have to do so much with our voice uh, even if you're doing television commentary you've still got to do that because you're condensing a whole uh, arena into a small box or, or screen in the corner of a, of a living room or, or wherever it happens to be and therefore whatever type of commentary you're doing your voice has got to portray the excitement of the match you could call a point of one all 15 all with exactly the same words as a point of four all 30 all but the four all 30 all will be done with a totally different tone of voice to imply the excitement now normally on radio we it's a dance, our voices and the effects, the, the ball bouncing, the players grunting, the umpire calling the score, and of course the roar of the crowd. And we suddenly lost that. So off the back of an exciting point, we had to keep talking. And it, it, it was harder work, it was difficult. At times you feel almost a bit stupid because you're talking into a, almost like into a void. But we knew that in order to convey the excitement to people listening at home, in a bus, on a tram, at work, wherever they happen to be listening, you know, on, uh, lying on a towel on a beach somewhere in the world. Um, it was important that we conveyed that. Then after three days, they started using the recorded applause. I don't like calling it fake applause, because it's not fake. It just wasn't live, it was recorded. And actually, um, that I found that made it easier. We had to adjust a little bit, because uh, I think some of the recordings had a little murmur behind them, and uh, they made it a little bit difficult for some of the... Um, uh, the sound of the ball being hit to be heard properly but uh, we soon got used to it and it was almost easier doing it with the uh, recorded applause um, because we at least had something to work with that dance of our voice with the effects was just uh, uh, we were back to the three-way thing of commentator uh, on court and off court and that uh, that made it a lot easier but I'm not trying to have the real thing which we'll have from uh, the last for the last four days of the tournament. That's exactly right. And it's like what we've seen at the MCG so many times. And over this year with AFL, there's been no crowds in the stands. So commentators have had to find their own energy. So it's something that I think broadcasters around the world are used to. But we'll move into the actual uh, tennis side of things for the tournament, Chris. And how have you actually found the event and the narrative surrounding it? And we've seen some amazing stories um, today. Carolina Mukhova and Jennifer Brady reaching the semifinals for the first time at the Australian Open. Mukhova, the first time ever. And then you've got Aslan Karatsev, the Russian, uh, who hadn't played a Grand Slam main, main draw, and he's all of a sudden into the semifinals. How have you found the tournament as a whole, and and as I said, the narratives that have um, that have been bestowed upon it? Um, I learned years ago that whatever happens in the first twelve days of a Grand Slam tournament, we remember it by the finals. If you get good finals, we say, what a great year that was. And we forget what happened. You know, it, it might have been a completely dull first 12 days, but if they're great finals, we remember it. If we have 12 scintillating days and two dull finals, we'd never think of it as a good year. So 
yeah, you're absolutely right. There have been some wonderful storylines. I mean, for me, um, Kokonakis taking Tsitsipas uh, to five sets was a great line. You've got these two Greeks in one of the biggest Greek cities in the world. And, uh, you know, one is an Australian Greek, the other one is a Greek Greek. Um, it was just fantastic. And knowing the history of Kokonakis, that was a great story. Mm -hmm. Kyrgios's second and third round matches were phenomenal. I was fortunate enough to call the match points of both. And I think after the um, match point that Kyrgios won against Umber, I said, you know, this is what we've been waiting for. We spent 11 months waiting for this and tennis with atmosphere is back. And it was just great material to work with. And there have been some great lines. But in terms of what we'll remember in the future, it depends what happens over this weekend. Yeah, absolutely right. And um, what was interesting with today's matches, Chris, and Val and I were chatting about this before, and I'm sure you, you've seen um, keeping track of things on on uh, the interwebs and, and social media, etc. There's been a bit of chat about MTOs, and that was prevalent again in uh, Carolina Mokova's match against Ashley Barty. And for the record, I, I think that, you know, I think in a lot of respects, Ash probably had herself to blame to be a little bit blunt in, in some respects because she didn't really handle, I don't think, that MTO particularly well, certainly after, which was playing at a very high level beforehand and then things seemed to change. And uh, Carolina's copped a bit of a bit of backlash um, since then and particularly based on her on-court um, interview where she essentially said she was, she was dizzy and she needed to take a break. And, and so that's what she did. And um, I guess the discussion's been about well, can we do anything with medical timeouts and, you know, are they abused and all that kind of thing. And I'm willing to give her the benefit of, of the doubt in that sense. I think she was well within her rights. But yeah. um, what, just generally speaking, what did you make of the situation? I learned many years ago that when a player gets near a big goal, their national media gets totally invested in it. And if that player then falls short, the media's disappointment can express itself in unfair criticism of someone. I experienced it here back in nine, in 2002 when Tim Henman got through to the fourth round and the, the, the bottom of the draw had fallen out. That was the year that Thomas Johansson uh, won the tournament. And Henman had the most golden opportunity and played the most awful match in the fourth round against Jonas Bjorkman. And the British media had got so excited gave him an absolute roasting. And when he played Davis Cup a couple of years later, he barely spoke to them. He was so angry with them. And I think fairly so. And I actually think that the reaction uh, against Mukova um, says more about the disappointment that people have felt, the understandable disappointment that Barty didn't make it. I mean, the, the fundamental question that you should ask is, if it hadn't been for that medical timeout, would Barty have won the match? And the answer is, I'm not sure that she would. Barty has been short of matches. It's been clear. She had that great tournament in the uh, lead-up to the Australian Open. She had that great start here with the 6-love, six 6-love six in the first round. She was not good against Gavrilova. Um, she has had this strapping on her, her left thigh, and everyone's been saying, oh, it's just a comfort blanket. But, you know, this is what happens when you don't play matches. We talk about match toughness. and I understand why she didn't want to travel last year. Most Australian players chose not to travel, and I get it, and I don't blame them. But the consequence of that is that she's short of matches. And I never thought she was going to win the tournament. I thought if she got to the final, she'd be eaten alive by uh, you know, an Osaka or a, a Williams. And, um, you know, she has fallen two steps before the final. 
I first commentated on Mukova when she was in the Wimbledon qualifying a few years back, and I thought, wow, this young woman has a very, very good game. doesn't guarantee that she will make it because it takes far more than just a good game. You know, you've got to have the dedication, you've got to have the mental ability, your body's got to hold up. So I'm not surprised to see Mukova in the semifinals, and uh, I actually think that time or lack of matches caught up with Barty. And while, yes, we can all be uncomfortable about the fact that the rule as it stands allows for that kind of medical timeout, which could be open to abuse, I don't think that influenced the match. And if you also think it through, if you want to abolish that, you'll end up with plenty of tournaments without finals because a player will say, I can't get the medical advice, therefore I'm going to play safe, I'm not going to wreck my chances of earning my living, I'm going to withdraw, I'm not going to take to the court. So in a way, we, we need medical timeouts, however much they are open to abuse. Yep, and that's exactly yeah, right. We, I don't think either of us could have put it better ourselves. And I think then and you're exactly right in another way, match toughness, because three of the four US Open semi-finalists from last year are into the semi-finals at the Australian Open. Match toughness is everything. They play their matches and they're bearing the fruits of, of their success in 2020. But a couple more before we do let you go, Chris. The best player that you've ever had to commentate, who is it? Overall, I have to say Roger Federer. Um, not because, I'm obviously I'm biased because I lived in Switzerland for two years and I've written his biography. But, you know... It is just such a pleasure to watch Federer. And I've been in um, weeks, like, say, the first week doing AO Radio, when I think, oh, gosh, you know, I used to be I used to be okay at this. I just need to get back into the swing of it. And then suddenly I get a Federer match, and there's just so much material to work with. And uh, the, the, the joy of watching somebody who plays like that. And uh, it doesn't mean that tennis isn't interesting now he's gone. We're very lucky we've got... a. a young generation of players with a fair amount of variety. I mean, I really hope Shapovalov gets it all together because he's as close to Federer as uh, as they've got in the new generation. But, um, you know, even Tsitsipas has has variety that I, I like to see as well. And uh, there's a young Italian coming up called Lorenzo Musetti, who I think could be very good. So there's... Uh, there's a lot of variety there, but I think Federer has to be the person that gives me greatest pleasure. If I'm allowed to go back a bit further to a time before I was actually working in tennis, when I was just a, a young fan, um, Yvonne Goulagong, Yvonne Corley had the most fluent strokes I ever remember. I remember watching her both from the back of the court and the side of the court, and I thought, my goodness, that, that is the, the way she plays tennis is the definition of fluency. Mm. Yep, I think from the footage that, that Joel and I have both seen, she was a little bit before our time, but yeah, she's uh, she the, the highlights uh, speak for themselves. And one final one before we do let you go, Chris, we really appreciate your time. Your predictions for the men's and women's titles of the Australian Open in 2021. Uh, well, I started with the women with Osaka, yep. and I'm sticking to that. Um, it's been a great tournament for the Americans, but I have a feeling that she is the one quality player. I've always believed that although she's not the world number one, she is effectively the world number one because of the matches that she's won in recent months. As for the men, um, at the time of recording this, we've still got um, the possibility of a Djokovic-Nadal final, and based on recent years who could bet against that I think it'll be Djokovic in the final um, against who well any of the other four who are still in it could get to the final just have a sense that we might have a new name on the Norman Brooks trophy this year so let me take a flyer and go for Medvedev 
Yep, you concur with Joel and I. We both said Daniel Medvedev to take out the 2021 Australian Open title as well. Chris Bowers, you are a wonderful broadcaster, one of the best that we have in our wonderful sport of tennis. And see and hearing your voice on AO Radio makes us know that it is summer because it is such a wonderful broadcast and you, you do an amazing job there. And uh, yeah, I, I highly recommend the book, uh, Novak Djokovic and Roger Federer. Please read them. They are fantastic. Chris Bowers, thank you so much for joining us on Breakpoint. Well, that's very kind of you. And don't forget, you've given me a bit of summer in the middle of the British winter. So uh, it's a two-way process. Chris Bowers there joining us on Breakpoint. And geez, it's amazing to have someone of his calibre uh, on the show and giving up so much of his time uh, when he would be absolutely flat out with uh, with work um, and and everything he's been doing throughout the tournament. So an, an amazing pleasure to have him on the program. He's such a world-renowned broadcaster and a fantastic one at that. But Joel, look, it is time for our one and only segment, one of our favourite segments of the week. Before we do get to our Australian Open predictions, which I do want to get from you with uh, who we think is going to win the tournament. But it is time for the Benoit of the Week. It is time for Benoit of the Week. And look, I'm going to let you take the floor on it this week, mate, because you've had an absolute gut pull this week. So take it away. I have. And I took to Twitter on on this issue um, on, I think it was on Sunday. So on Valentine's Day, what a, what a, what a day to stick up for someone that has done so much for you and so much for us and to stick up. And sh- I wanted to express my love for Brett Phillips because BP was interviewing <laughs> Naomi Osaka on court after her fourth round win at the Australian Open. And look, I'm not going to explain it to you. I'm going to play it right now. Wow. I mean, that was worthy of a, a Grand Slam final. What a match, Naomi. You pulled out... The big stuff when you needed it most uh, to save match points. So you talked about the fight you had to show in your last match that you were impressed with, or today you had to take it to another level against a quality opponent. Um, that wasn't a question. Um... So that was the issue on Sunday afternoon when Osaka said, um, that wasn't a question. BP's statement wasn't boneheaded. And we've learned through our university course at La Trobe University that when you interview someone, you are allowed to say a statement. It's, it's not the best thing to do. But if it's something that's going to lead into questions or lead into an interview, you are within your rights to do it and you are allowed to do it as proper interview etiquette and as a proper interviewer. So why Naomi Osaka had to be rude and bring up that and be awkward and just be blatantly disrespectful to Brett Phillips I was, I was quite baffled. I thought it was terrible. And my tweet said that how many times have we seen Jim Courier start things with a statement in his post-match interviews with any of the players and they won't pull him up on it. And I said, would Naomi pull Jim or a former player up if it happened? Well, I got my answer because the next match, the first thing that Yelena Dokic asked Naomi was, you must be delighted. We didn't ask, just said. You must be delighted. That's a statement. The exact same thing. Did Naomi pull her up on it? No, she didn't. Blatantly rude, Naomi. Disrespectful. Absolutely abhorrent behavior. And you need to pull your head in. That's been Wire of the Week this week. Bang. Yep. Well said, mate. Yep. I was, um, I was, I was absolutely <laughs> furious. <laughs> you Pardon? 
You've been hanging to say that. I really have. I've been um, I've been absolutely frustrated by it. And look, the Australian media fraternity has been very kind to me. I was expecting a little bit of backlash from what I said. Only one one person actually came back and made a really invalid point. But um, other than that, it's been um, it's been fairly okay. So I was expecting a little bit of a barrage for for putting myself out there. But I was um, I, I'm I'm quite frankly sick of it with the lack of respect for some people that do so much for the sport uh, in, in this country. And BP does more for this sport than any other person in this country. He really tries to get everybody a voice in tennis and, um, he's, he's making it a community on radio and in his broadcasting. And he's so amazing at his craft and what he does. So, um, and we do love BP on this show. So yeah, it's definitely, definitely infuriating seeing players act like that, but Unfortunately, I think it's part and parcel of the industry that we are in. But um, Joel, predictions for the Australian Open. This is something that um, we both uh, we both went with last week. I think both of our champions are still in the draw from last week. Well, my men's champion is still in the draw, which is Daniel Medvedev, mm-hmm. and I'm going to stick with him. He's looking really, really good. Um, but my women's champion was Ash Barty, so obviously she's Ooh. now out of the draw. So yeah, exactly. So I'm uh, I'm gonna readjust my prediction, and I'm gonna go for the big twenty-four. I think Serena's gonna get it done. Really? Um, yeah, I think she's gonna get past Naomi Osaka. Um, I've just I've seen enough from Serena this tournament, and especially in her last couple of matches, to suggest that we are seeing right now vintage Serena Williams. She against Simona Halep had a really good look at that match, uninterrupted. She was absolutely pasting that ball. Now, there were a couple of moments where maybe her level dropped a little bit, but she got back in that Simona didn't, didn't quite get, you know, get, get ahead of uh, Serena when she had the chance. So um, I'm going to actually go with Serena. I think she's going to get it done. All right. Fair enough. I disagree. I think it's going to be Naomi Osaka. I think I said that last week. And um, and Daniel Medvedev, just the way he's playing, is uh, he's in a rich vein of form at the moment. He's winning streak. Just continues to grow. And one more before we do wrap things up, Joel. Grigor Dimitrov, are we categori- categorically ruling him out now of winning a slam ever? Yeah, I think he's missed his chance now. Yep, 100%. This was a golden opportunity. Which is a huge shame. Yep, definitely. Golden opportunity here. Novak supposedly injured. Um, Zverev out of the picture. Plays a qualifier in the quarterfinals. Nadal labouring through with a um, with a back injury. And, um, and the court's playing extremely quick. This was a chance for Grigor to do really well. And after what he did to Dominic Team, he looked like he was in ominous form. But as has happened so many times in Grigor's career, he can't back up again. And um, yeah, still uh, still holding those three Grand Slam semifinals. And, and that's about it. So yeah, Grigor Dimitrov, you've heard it here first on Breakpoint Podcast. He ain't winning no slams ever. Big ruling, but that's what we do here on this show, yeah. isn't it, Joel? <laughs> Uh, yep, and um, luckily for you, Greg, well, now that we've picked it, you're probably going to win one. So um, yeah. thank us later. You can, send, yep, exactly. you, you can send the check in mail. It's right. reverse psychology. Yeah, he can send the full check, actually. He's made enough money. We need to we need to make some. So, Grigor, if you, we'll send you through the VSB and account number um, for Breakpoint Podcast or for Joel and my individual accounts. But, Joel, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting tennis with you. We'll, uh, we'll reconvene. We're going to do a show very soon. Uh, I'll be up in Moama for work next week, so... Um, we're going to do a show a little bit uh, sooner than what we usually would, so stay tuned for that. Um, but Joel, thank you very much for your efforts today. No, always a pleasure, mate. Looking forward to going bush next week and uh, and seeing 
reviewing what we're about to see in the next couple of days. Yeah, very, very excited for that. The men's and women's finals. Uh, everything is heating up here at the Australian Open. We can't wait to see what uh, the next few days are going to produce. It's been Val Febo and Joel Frucci on Breakpoint Podcast. Remember, you can follow us on social media, Twitter at Breakpoint Pod, uh, Instagram at Breakpoint Podcast, and Facebook Breakpoint Podcast. And as well, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from. We are there. So remember, enjoy the next few days of the Australian Open. If you're in Europe, enjoy your late nights. If you're in Melbourne, enjoy your late nights because we are going to have some big, long matches Uh, over the next few days. So we will get a lull, but until then, we'll catch you soon.